0: Our identity—are we—are we wrapped up in our our, our latest shoes and our clothes and the music and the jewelry? The harder one for us that are parents is: Are we wrapped up in our kids? You got to know that God made you special, and the job He's got for you is a job that nobody else can do. A child of God, you are the righteousness of God. You are a friend of God. You are unafraid, full of power full of love, full of self-control. You are all sons of God through faith. Who are we, and what does God want us to do in this life? Our identity is comprised of many influences, and in today's society, that can sometimes get very confusing. In today's message, Herman Mason, son of Senior Pastor Eddie Mason, explores our true identity through Jesus and not the world. I want to talk to you today about an identity crisis, but after really working on this sermon, thinking about the tragedy that struck Southside Christian Fellowship family and everything going on, you know, it just really occurred to me that it should be an identity crisis no more. And so I just believe that um, that should be the focus rather than having the identity crisis. Uh, I think we're very aware that we've got to know who we are, but I just hope today's message will bless you. Uh, let's pray before we get started. Bow your heads. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your many blessings of life. Lord, I ask you to just speak through me. Lord, I ask that our hearts would be open, that we'd receive the words that you would have for us, that Lord, we'd leave changed, Father God, regardless of how we came in this morning. Lord, we'd be more on fire for you. We'd be more focused on you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a little girl sitting on her grandpa's lap, and she looked up at him and she said, Grandpa, did God make me? He said, yes, sweetheart, he made you. She thought about it for a minute. She looked up at him and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? He said, yes, sweetheart, God made me too. She looked at him some more with his wrinkly skin and his thinning hair, and he said, man, God sure sure is doing a better job nowadays, isn't he? (laughs) You know, one of the issues we have today is we lose sight of our purpose in life. You know, And my question is, why? Why are so many people losing sight of our purpose in life? Why are so many people not living an abundant life like God intended? I'm always drawn to the children of Israel when God delivered them out of the Pharaoh's hand. He did all these miraculous things, and then you read right after that, they're in the desert, and what are they doing? They're complaining. They've almost immediately lost sight, and for years I really just did not understand how somebody could do that. And then I began to grow up a little bit, and I realized... (laughs) It's a little easier than I thought. It's a little easier to lose sight of what God's done for you. As I hear kids say all the time in middle school, that's so yesterday. You know, it's in the past. And so it's kind of, what have you done for me lately? And unfortunately, I think that's the way we treat God a lot of times. What have you done for me lately? We forget who we are. We forget our purpose. Let me give you some statistics as I set the stage here this morning. According to the World Health Organization, there are 300 million people around the world who have depression. Now, let me put that in a little perspective. I read the 300 million at first on purpose because 300 million is an awful lot of numbers there. Now, the reality is that works out to be about 4% of the world. And so 4% does not seem quite as overwhelming as 300 million. But, you know, these are 300 million individual people that God created that are depressed. Now, let me give you a statistic about the United States. About 16.2 million adults not even including children, but adults in the United States, that equals about 6.7% of all adults in our country have experienced a major depressive episode in the past year. We're the most successful nation on earth. we got more stuff in this country than we know what to do with, and yet we have a higher percentage of people depressed than the percentage in the world. That does not make any sense to me? And the only answer has to be we've lost sight of our purpose in life. We've lost sight of who we are. 10.3 million U.S. adults experience an episode that result in severe impairment, and that happened just in the past year. Nearly 50% of all people diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And it's estimated that 15% of the adult population will experience depression at some point in their lifetime. And what's interesting to me is as you read God's Word and as you read the, the Scriptures, I don't see anything about depression being the norm. I don't see that that's where God uh, is leading us. I don't see where that's what God wants for us. So I want to read you several Scriptures today and then expound on them. And I do have a few points, but I think the, the way to regain our sight starts with knowing our purpose in life. Our purpose is simply to, to love God, to serve God and to disciple others to do so. In Matthew 28:19 and 20 it says, "Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I' have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Very simple, very direct. What is our purpose? To go and make disciples. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Everything else in the Scriptures is is teachings to help us understand how to go and do that and to, for lack of better words, or as I heard it growing up, be in the world but not of the world. 1 Peter 5, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And when he says, do not love the world, notice he's not saying do not love the people of the world. He's talking about the, the worldly things that we're attracted to. Okay? The reason that people sin is not because sin is horrible. Let me rephrase that. It's not because it's not fun. People enter into sin because it's what pleases their flesh. It pleases their body. Otherwise, why would they do it? As a matter of fact, Coke is is constantly telling us to just live the life we want to live. And God's saying, the life you should want to live should be to please me. And if you'll do it a certain way, you'll have the most abundant life. But God's ways often seem a little backwards to the world's ways. The world talks about overindulging, and God talks about giving up and, and giving in. See, we've got we to understand that we're to be in this world, but not of this world. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's go one more. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the, uh, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whosoever does the will of God lives forever. And I've got to be honest with you, I had to flip back over, because it sounds identical to 1 Peter 5. So Matthew 28 tells us to go and make disciples. 1 Peter 5 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or anything in this world. I think God's sending us a message. You know, my, my, one of my favorite jokes is I sent you two boats in a helicopter. Sometimes we die through drowning because we're too dumb to realize that God sent us two boats and a helicopter. If you've not heard that joke, basically, there's a man that's on his uh, roof of his house because it's flooding real bad. And a, and a boat comes by and says, here, jump in the boat, I'll save you. And he goes, no, God's going to save me. God's going to take care of me. So He drives off. A little later on, another boat comes by. man says, get in the boat, I'll save you. I'll take you to safety. The man says, no, 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 God's going to save me. And the boat goes away. Next night, a helicopter comes flying over. Now the guy's standing on his chimney because the waters have risen so much. And the guy in the helicopter says, hey, you know, climb onto the ladder. I'll save you. I'll take you to safety. And the guy goes, no, God's going to take care of me. He's going to save me. Chapter 2, the man dies. Chapter 3, he goes up to heaven and asks God, what happened? And God says, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. (laughs) God sent us the Word. He even put it together for us in the New Testament here, in the, the, new, the, the New Covenant. Okay, We're living on this side, right? Meaning that, that we're not looking for letters from Paul to be delivered in the mail. It's here. It's all together for us. They even went that step further. And over and over and over again, God says, do not love the things of this world. But yet what do we do? We're constantly trying to build up treasures for ourselves. And what's amazing is then we get very upset. Before that, we, we spend all this time and energy trying to protect all those things. And then when somebody comes in and steals it, then we're bent out of shape and upset about it all. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you to, to protect your items. I'm not pr- telling you to not be good stewards of what God's blessed you with. I'm telling you where your heart should be, though. Okay. All right. If you've done those things, if you've taken care of the things God's blessed you with, and somebody breaks in and steals it, they break in and steal it. And you need to pray for that person and leave them to God and let God take care of that. Okay, God can replace all your possessions, but the, the trick is, where is your heart? Is your heart with the possessions or is it with God? Our identity. Are we, are we wrapped up in our, our, our latest shoes and our clothes and the music and the jewelry? The harder one for us that are parents is are we wrapped up in our kids so tightly that they cause us to stray from the Word of God? I know for me it was extremely, it was much more, it it was much easier to follow God wholeheartedly without any question when I was single. Now that's not a slight against Tammy. If anything, she's made me better. But that's to tell you that when I married Tammy, all of a sudden I had something else to protect. Something else my heart was sold out to. And it's not that God doesn't want me to protect her or love her with all my heart. But at the same time, my first love has to be to God and His ways. Because gentlemen, I will tell you, women will take you astray. Just ask Adam. I mean, Adam gets a lot of blame, but man, come on now. As we talk about a lot, you know, we stay frustrated with God Us men do because, you know, he did not do a bad job with you women. <laughs> Maybe if he had done just a little less good of a job with you, we wouldn't get in all the trouble we get into. But our hearts fall in love with, you know, our wives. And then if that wasn't tough enough, then God blesses us with children. And it gets even harder. And I'll tell you that today, it's, it's much, much harder for me to commit wholeheartedly to God than it was when I was single. That's because the love of this world creeps in. See, we think of the love of the world as just possessions as far as uh, material possessions go. But those fleshly possessions can trap us too. We have to, we have to pray about that. And we have to be careful. So we know that... We have to have a, we know our purpose in life is to serve God, to love God, and to go after others so that they can do the same. You know? So once you know what your purpose is, what's the next thing? And this is key. And this is the reason right here I believe that we have such high percentages of depression. And you say, well, 6% is not that high. And I say it should be 0%. Anything above 0% shouldn't exist. Why? We shouldn't be depressed. If we are depressed, we have lost sight of who's in control. We've lost sight of who we're serving and living for. If we are depressed, we've forgotten who we are. We have lost our identity. So my favorite saying you all know by now is, God made you special and He loves you very much. Now, yes, that started with the VeggieTales and it caught me right away. But the reality is that's such a powerful statement. It's the best slogan statement you could have. Because God knows that He made you special, and God knows that He loves you very much. But do you know that there are a lot of times we forget or don't know that God made us special and that God loves us very much? How do I know that? Because boys and girls are changing who they are to please other human beings. Never in my life did I think it would be an issue of which bathroom I should go into. Now, I understand the labeling. Some of you told me that sometimes the way they're labeled, the pictures are weird. But let's assume for a minute we know this is the men's bathroom and this is the women's bathroom, right? That should not be a hard decision. But Satan has got some of us so twisted that we don't even know which bathroom to use. And here's the crazy part. I've gone through lots of situations where I am angry at the people that are introducing this confusion upon our children especially. But the reality is they're just confused because they have bought into the lies of the enemy. So my anger is misplaced. My prayers need to be against the enemy and against the confusion of this world. And that starts with, if each one of us knows that we're special, why would we ever want to change? Why would you need to change? If you know that God created you special and nobody else can do what God's got set for you to do, why would you ever want to change that? We're trying to change. It's, it's ironic to me, and I'm pretty sure I'm using that correctly, ironic that we work so hard to be different from everybody that we end up being the same because we're trying to be different. Because everybody's trying to be different, we're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to be different. And God's saying, hey, let me tell you something. I made you a man for a reason. I made you a woman for a reason. I made you you for a reason. I made you specially for me. I made you specially for me. And if you don't believe that, you have bought into the lies. I didn't tell you on the depression statistics. I really thought that our youth would be more depressed than anybody. And the reality is that 45 to 54-year-old range is where we see the majority of the depression. The midlife crisis. We forget who we are. We forget who God made us. We try to be something God didn't create us to be. Now I'm hitting specific gender issues this morning, but it goes further than that. We try to be a preacher when we're not a preacher. We try to be an evangelist when we're not an evangelist. We try to be something that God didn't make us. Rather than drawing closer to Him, learning our identity, and doing that 100% sold out to God. He called us to be servants. So why are we thinking that's lower on the totem pole? Why do we put the pastor of the church up here okay, and the custodian down here? God doesn't. He said, I called some to be hands, some to be feet. He called us all to do different jobs, and he didn't say that one job was more important than the other. Everybody hopefully watched some sports yesterday. All our teams won, yes? Amen. If your team didn't win, you need to pick a new team. Keys over say, my team won, so I'm okay, I'm safe. But I, I'm telling you, especially with football and every sport that I'm watching, they win as a team. And every person's job is just as important. My team is Georgia Tech, and I think I'm not afraid to say that. I'm not ashamed today because we won, and we won handily. Now, in a couple of weeks, I may hide, but... You know, Georgia Tech runs an offense to where every blocker on that front line is extremely important. If one guy misses his block, we're done. We're done. Everybody's job is important, and nobody's job is more important than the other. Now, the quarterback gets a lot of love and a lot of blame. Okay? But the reality is he can't do his job if everybody else is not doing their job. You're going to see in Christianity that there are some people that get a lot more limelight because people are in awe of the things God's using them for, but that can make us feel like our job is not as important as their job. You know, one of the things I had to do uh, in school was to write a paper about leadership. And I'd always heard growing up, you know, you can be anything you want to be. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think what you should want to be is what God wants you to be rather than just anything man tells you to be. Here's why. If everybody can be the president, who's the president leading? If everybody's called to be the person in charge, who are they in charge of? Somebody's got to be the follower, and that's not a lesser job. Dad will tell you that we've talked a lot over the last few years. I've had the, the... I don't know if it's pleasure or not. Sometimes it feels like a lot of pain, but, you know, God's blessed me and I've been able to move through the ranks of whatever job I'm doing, uh, but I avoided becoming a principal for a reason, not because I didn't have the intellect, not because I didn't have the the ability, but I saw what the principals had to do, and they have to deal a lot more with negative stuff than they do positive stuff, and I just didn't want to be a part of that. You know, I, I was a branch manager at a bank for a couple of years, and I was involved with two firings, and I'm going to tell you something. They were not wrong... Those people needed to be let go, but to this day it still bothers me because I know that I had an impact on somebody's life. Now, hopefully, thankfully, they turned to a higher power and God takes care of them and they're not looking to me, but, but my own personal experience was I didn't like that. It really struggled me, but yet we all want to be in charge. And all of a sudden I realized I don't, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I get what Moses was saying. <laughs> Lord, you, you sure you want me to go? <laughs> Surely there's somebody else, God. I'm not saying I'm not capable of it. I'm just saying I don't really want to. You got to know that God made you special and the job he's got for you is a job that nobody else can do. That's right. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people. Come on. You're chosen. What was it, the Highlander? There can only be one. You are the one. I do like to point to yourself and say, I am the one. (laughs) one. I like the matrix, and Neo was the one. But the interesting part is in the matrix, only Neo was the one. In God's matrix, we're all the one. We're all the one. First Peter 2.9, But you are, chose, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, Amen. that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Amen. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, You are God's masterpiece. So let me ask you a question. You're trying to change yourself. Why? You're trying to change God's masterpiece? How foolish are you? You know, that's what you're in effect saying. I'm not comfortable with who I am, so I'm going to try to change me. Is saying, hey, God, I don't like what you've done, and I'm going to try to change and fix what you've done. The problem is you can't fix it. You have a choice. Either you're going to accept it or you're going to run away from it. Jonah tried to run away from it. That didn't work out too well for him. And those of you that see the movie The Meg, I don't know if you want to be in the waters right now. That's a really big shark. I don't know if that's what Jonah got swallowed up by. But I know I don't want to spend any time in the belly of a whale at all. You're either going to accept what God's called you to be or you're going to run from it. And can I tell you something? Running is not fun. That's why I avoid it at all costs. Some of y'all doesn't get that. I got a buddy who runs all the time, and he talks about a runner's high. I told him I never made it that far. <laughs> I never have experience. Then I had a friend when, in high school... We were, uh, we, we were told we had to run on the cross country team because we had to get uh, exercise for baseball season and we weren't doing anything else in the fall so we had to run cross country. And uh, this was when I was a lot less heavy. And he, was, he ended up being so good at it in just that one year he got a scholarship for, for cross country. He got offered it. I think he ended up taking it for baseball, but he got offered a scholarship for cross country. I said, man, Russ, how, how do you do that? How do you? He said, oh, you just push through the pain. Nah, I can't do that, Russ. I don't believe I want it that bad. So I never understood the runner's high and pushing through the pain. But the reality is when we're talking about God's word, God's world, if we're living the way God asked us to do that, we're going to have to push through some of that pain and we're going to find, have to find that eye. But you don't want to change what God has made. Why would you want to? Now, I'm not a fan of art, or the art I'm a fan of is not lauded by critics. I think that's because I can understand true artists where I can actually make out what they drew. When you can't make it out, I don't think that's art. I'll put it another way. If I can do it, it's not art. Now, I didn't know this, but I was told a story of my great-grandfather who was an artist. As a matter of fact, we've got several of his canes, and he would carve uh, faces and things like that into the canes, into the little um, uh, handles of guns. I mean, just extremely talented. And he would enter the art contests, and never won, never won. Well, when he was painting, he had this uh, pad where he would wipe off his brush. And so just on a whim, to be funny, he entered that into a contest, (laughs) and he won. (laughs) At that point, he quit painting, And started carving. (laughs) And that's the way I feel about critics of art is, I don't think you know what you're talking about, but I don't know enough to be able to tell you that. But I do know this. The art that God created, you can see it. You can make it out. You can understand it. And it is every time a masterpiece. Every time a masterpiece. He doesn't get lucky. He's just that good. We talk about a few paintings from these artists, Picasso and Van Gogh, and that's the only two I can name right now. <laughs> I told you I'm not an art lover. And their paintings are hanging in these galleries and museums, and people come by and look at them and ooh and ah over them, and every story I read is those jokers were crazy. I think one of them cut off his own ear for his girlfriend or something. I, I don't think I want to follow him. He's hearing something weird. I don't know. But God doesn't have that same issue. God doesn't make a masterpiece and then cut off his ear. (laughs) Right? God made you. And Bob the Tomato said it the best. God made you very special. And the other part is, he loves you. He doesn't love what you're wearing. He doesn't love what you're saying. He doesn't love what you're watching. He loves you. He loves you despite what you're wearing. He loves you despite what you're saying. And He loves you despite what you're watching. He loves you. But yet we're spending all this time trying to change ourselves so some other random human being who may not even be your friend in 10 years will accept you right now. For what? For what? For human love that actually doesn't truly understand what love is? You're trying to get your love from a 15-year-old, from a 40-year-old, from a 50-year-old. The acceptance. God loves you right now and always has and always will. God loved you so much, He came down to earth, He died on a cross, took all of your sin, even though you didn't deserve it so that you would have a chance at eternal life. And you don't want that love? God's offering a love that's going to be there with you every step of the way. Through thick, through thin, will never turn His back on you, but we're chasing something else. Identity crisis. No more. Know your purpose in life. Know that God made you special know that God loves you very much, and then you got to know how to defend yourself. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you begin to realize who you are, okay, when you begin to realize what God has done for you and done through you and will do through you, the enemy pays attention. And he begins to throw all manner of evil against you. And he begins to try to take away your sight so that you lose sight again, just like the children of Israel did after all of the miracles that God provided in the desert and before the desert and after the desert, and they still lost sight. Satan is trying to take your sight away. So you got to know how to defend yourself. How do we defend ourselves? I also put on here, let me tell you something. I think you ought to defend yourselves like Captain America, not like Rocky. I appreciate you wearing the Captain America shirt, Keith. And Rocky wins in the end, but Rocky gets beat up all the time. The whole movie, he gets beat up. And then finally, from the ashes, he comes up and he throws up. He wins. Captain America puts that down from the beginning to the end. So know how to defend yourself like Captain America, not like Rocky. And this is how you can do that. First Peter 5, 6 through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Let me say that again. Humble yourselves. Cast all your anxiety. Sorry about that. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Let me, let me just pop through the keys of that one more time. Humble yourself. Cast your anxiety on God. What I tell you before, that 50% of all the depression cases end up in anxiety disorders as well. Be alert of sober mind. Resist the devil. Sometimes we lose just because we don't even put up a fight. Stand firm in your faith. You know, one of my other favorite scriptures is in Revelation. It says they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That, that standing firm is knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. And that comes not just through reading the Word, but actually having the experiences so you can draw back on them. So that you can be reminded how God has blessed you over and over again so that you can be renewed. So you can be strengthened. Because when you stand firm, guess who else stands firm? God. The great thing is, even if we don't stand firm, God's still going to stand firm. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me say that again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We shouldn't be trying to fight against flesh and blood. And we also should not be trying to identify or please flesh and blood. We shouldn't be changing anything about ourselves So somebody else in this world can appreciate us. If they can't appreciate what God made, you don't need to be around them right now anyway. One of the scriptures I I had on here, but I I took away uh, because I just felt like I had so many of them to go through today, but it talks about showing the world God through your walk. Being that light so that they cannot cast doubt on who you are. As a matter of fact, when you walk with God, chances are pretty good it's going to feel like you're on an island sometimes. Your choices are to get off your island and go do what the world is doing or to stand firm and trust that God always has your best interest at heart. I meet people all the time that I went to school with and I don't remember them. And it's not because they weren't memorable. It's not because they were bad people or good people. I've I've just been blessed, and after 15 years of teaching and meeting 100-plus kids every year and their parents and going to college and going to high school, you you begin to forget people that aren't with you on a consistent basis. And the reason I'm saying that is life now is the same way. I have people that were my friends 20 years ago that were not friends anymore. I shouldn't say it that way. We, We just don't hang out like we used to. If I saw him again, we'd still be friends and, and, you know, hug each other and say hey and catch up. I said all that to say that there's only really one true person that's been with you from the get-go. There's only one person that you've got to remember or that you should remember. Okay? My family has always been there for me. But it turns out I'm in a rare situation. A lot of us don't have family that we can turn to. If you do, praise God. But there is one person that has been with you from the beginning, whether you realize it or not. Daddy used to tell me God didn't make no junk. When I was in eighth grade, I got tired of people picking on me for my name. And I think I've told this story from the pulpit before. But I got tired of it. The worst part was, as I look back on that, it was really people that I identified as friends that were doing it. I don't think I had a true understanding of what a friend was at that point in time in my life. I was trying to please the wrong people. And I came home upset. Just kind of shut myself in my room. And I was a pretty happy kid, so it was pretty obvious I was upset that day. And I remember Dad coming to my room, and Mama might have too, I don't know. But I just remember Dad sitting down with me and asking me what was wrong. And I told him. I was upset, I was tired of people making fun of me, and I was changing my name. I didn't say I want to change my name. I didn't ask if I could change my name. I just told him in no uncertain terms I was changing my name. Now, I got to thinking about that for a minute and thinking if, if my three sons had said that, what my response would have been. It would not have been a real nice response. I mean, like, your mom and I worked hard on that name. And I don't care whether you like it or not. You're not changing your name. As a matter of fact, there might have been some hot debate on a couple of them. But we settled on this, and that's what you... you know. But that's not what he said to me. He looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, okay, if you want to change your name, you can change your name. (laughs) I didn't know what to say because I really didn't expect him to agree with it, and I didn't expect him to agree with it right away. Then he threw that coveted parental word around. Anybody know what it is? But. (laughs) Yeah, you can do this. (laughs) But. (sighs) But he wanted to reassure me that it would not matter what I changed my name to. They would either pick on that name or find something else to pick on me about. And I don't know what happened, but it was a revelation for me. For the first time, that made sense. And for the first time, I decided to embrace my identity in my name. And I decided that I wasn't going to let somebody else push me around for something as trivial and stupid as a name. Now, the way I handled it was I jumped in there and started making fun, too. Of your own name? Yeah, my own name. Why not? And it it took them aback. They didn't really know what to do with that. And what I found out was once I took that power away from them by not giving them any kind of a reaction, all of a sudden they they quit making fun. And then what would happen is then my true friends, they would still make fun, but it didn't hurt. It didn't bother me because we picked on each other all the time. but, but, But I knew who my friends were, so I learned two lessons through that. One was to embrace who I was and my identity. The other was, who are your your true friends? And a lot of times we associate with people that are not really our true friends. My identity. If you understand that your identity is in Christ Jesus, and not everybody's going to like that identity, you're going to be way ahead of the game. Let me finish reading this and close. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. How many times have we said that today? That's not the same Scripture I'm reading. God littered the Bible with those words. Don't conform to things of this world and stand firm. Stand firm. With the belt of truth buckled about your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I get a picture of a cartoon where you got a devil shooting arrows, and you're over there going, That's it? That's all you got? The arrows just fall down. (laughs) Extinguish them. Put them out. Y'all never used a fire extinguisher then. (laughs) They are fun. (laughs) But it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That shield of faith, that standing firm is what becomes that fire extinguisher. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of truth, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So again, let me just just say this again. Know your purpose to go out into all the world recruiting disciples of the Lord. Know that God made you special and loves you very much. He made a masterpiece with you and is not interested in you changing His masterpiece. Know how to defend yourself. Last but not least, know who you are. I'm going to read to you a series of statements here, and I'm going to close with this. When I read these, I'm telling you, every one of these statements are Scriptures. Now, I've tweaked the uh, phrasing, and if you're curious about where any of these are, I'll be more than happy to print the list where I got these from or give you the website. But just understand that what I'm about to read to you I hope you'll listen and hear, because God told us this, and they're all Scripture. But the best one, the one I want to highlight is 1 John 5.18. It says, We know that no one is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. I want to leave you with this thought as I begin to read this list here. You are untouchable. When you begin to walk around with that kind of faith and understanding that you can't be touched, then you don't conform to somebody else's ways. You're waiting for people to conform to what you're doing. The Bible says you are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You are His workmanship created for good works. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a child of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are a friend of God. You are unafraid, full of power, full of love, full of self-control. You are all sons of God through faith. You are able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are an heir of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You are one spirit with God. You are untouchable. You did not choose God, but He chose you. You are redeemed. You are the light of the world. You were bought with a price. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness. You have been transferred to the kingdom of God. You are a child of the light. You are more than a conqueror. You are the salt of the earth. You are forgiven. You are free. And you are a witness. Eddie Mason is the senior pastor at Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. Please join us every Sunday morning. For service times, locations, and other information about the church, visit us at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.